I think, a trap that athletes and high performers at anything fall into is living this performance-based identity uh, where they find their value in their success and their results. Well, hey guys, thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Right Side Up Leadership Podcast. I'm one of your co-hosts, Alan Briggs, but I'm coming in today by myself and I am interviewing a good friend, Ben King, who's a professional cyclist. And so that on its own would be exciting. God's using Ben in some pretty incredible ways. Uh, and his platform is a bike seat. And he uses that in, in many ways. One of those particular avenues was an I Am Second video where he shares some pretty hard stuff from his own life. And God uses that vulnerability to connect with and impact many other people. We talk about some of the depths of leadership. What is it like to be a professional athlete and a professional cyclist? So Ben is a good friend of mine, but this conversation was leadership gold. Some great things that will transfer over to all different areas of leadership. I love this conversation with Ben King. So as always, pick up a cup of coffee, grab your journal, and get ready for another ridiculously practical conversation about health and impact. Here's my conversation with Ben King. Welcome to another episode of the Right Side Up Leadership Podcast. Guys, today's episode is a treat. Ben King is a friend of mine I've known for many years now, and God has just given him a ton of influence. He's a professional cyclist, and beyond that, he's just a good dude and is living out his faith in some practical and tangible ways on and off the bike. So Ben, my man, thanks for joining us on the podcast. Well, thanks for having me on. It's uh, it's pretty exciting to, to connect over this again after after a while. Like I said, we've known each other for a long time. Um, and you were always, I don't know, I, I, t- I try to like explain who you are to people sometimes. And um the some of the stories that always come to mind are like you were a guy who was a few years older than me and my friends um here in Virginia and just really invested in us and mentored us and and invited us into anything that you were doing and that was just really encouraging for us and you've always been a guy who just like lives life to the fullest and seeks adventure all the time and I just I think about like you taking us hiking to some river up in the mountains and like, you know, here's a rock into the water. And, you know, before anyone's tested it out, like you're already doing a flip into that hole that, you know, 20 feet down. For um, good or for ill. I was probably modeling that to you. Yeah. And then, you know, taking us back to the, like, you know, on night missions to the abandoned, abandoned mental hospital. Yeah, that that was one of those stories that you look back on and they're like, man, I'm I'm glad nothing went wrong with that, or I'm yes. glad we didn't get in legal trouble. But man, adventure. But here we really, are. Here we are, fifteen, twenty years later, still talking about it, which is just that's awesome. Right. That's right, man. Just um, and fun and whimsy and curiosity is such a huge part of life. And honestly, man, when I get to dig back into these conversations, um, to to see obviously God is using you in some incredible ways. 
uh, all over and, and want to dig into to those. But what I think is cool is to pull off of the social media feed for a second. I see, you know, incredible pictures of, you know, all over the world. We don't get to see all the work you put in behind the scenes, but it is just a blast to watch at a distance, Ben, God using you, um, now being married and now just some of the rigors of, of your life. So why don't you share with us, what does your life look like? I mean, what is the crazy life of a professional cyclist? Uh, it depends on what time of the year, really. Like this time of the year, I'm in I'm in base training, so I'm pretty much just tired and hungry all the time. I literally just walked into the door 20 minutes ago from a, a six-hour training ride, and there's five inches of snow on the ground. Um, so it's yeah, it's it can be pretty exhausting. And then uh, in about two weeks here, I'll head back to Europe, and from then till October, I won't really be in one place for more than a week or two at a time. Um, just traveling, living out of my suitcase, uh, racing and, you know, getting a week or two at home in between races. So, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a pretty exhausting lifestyle, but it's, it's also a great opportunity and it's a real adventure and, you know, cycling is my passion and, and something I, I really love. I love it, man. And, and just to get to glimpse into that, when you were out in Colorado, got to see you in your zone and, um, and with the team, obviously cycling is, uh, is not what we picture as a team sport, but there's so much team involved in it. Let us in a little bit. What is, what's it like to be on that cycling team and who all is on a cycling team? Yeah, that's, it's kind of a tricky thing to explain to people who aren't really familiar with cycling or have never ridden a bike in a group of other people. Um, because it's extremely tactical, um, the, what I always tell people to do to try to ex explain the tactics is to drive down the road at 40 miles an hour, put your hand out the window and feel the wind resistance and now drop your hand down behind the rear view mirror and feel, feel, feel that slipstream. Um, so all of the tactics in cycling are based off the wind and the team's role is to protect the designated leader, um, to help him save energy throughout the day so that he's not ever having to touch the wind until the critical moments where he's head to head with other teams leaders. So there are a lot of ways that you can use a team to, uh, you know, further the, the overall objective of the team, which is obviously to win. I love it. Now, um, that's super helpful for me and for others. I mean, I jump on the mountain bike, uh, and, and ride recreationally and just following along with your feed, your email updates. Um, there's so much strategy, so much behind the scenes. Let's go a little bit behind the scenes in terms of training. So you said six hour ride today. I mean, you're probably just filling your body up right now with calories just to make it through this podcast interview. <laughs> Let us know what is that like day in, day out, week in, week out, just beating your body to that level where you're riding that competitively, eating, what does is, what is diet, what does exercise look like for you on a regular basis? Um, again, it depends on the, the period of the season. Like right now I'm in the base phase where I'm not doing a ton of intensity. Um, I'm doing a lot of, uh, I'm doing structured intervals and structured workouts, but they're not super intense. And I'm just really putting in a lot of hours on the bike. As we get closer to the main objectives, my rides will get a little bit shorter and a little bit more intense. Um, so yeah, I mean, definitely fueling is as important as the training. 
because if you're not fueling, then you're not one recovering from the work that you've done and also not capable of doing high quality work and following sessions. Um, so there's definitely a science behind it. I have a coach and he's, you know, monitoring every pedal stroke of every ride. Um, our team works with a nutritionist, so we're definitely well supported. Um, and a lot of it, you just kind of learn, um, from trial and error. Everyone who's made it to this level in cycling knows their bodies extremely well and, um, what they need to perform at such a high level. But, um, yeah, I mean, sometimes eating feels like a chore because you have to eat so much and sometimes you're just, you know, just cramming in that extra plate of rice or pasta before a, you know, before a seven hour race where you might burn 6,000 calories, um, just in the space of that race, um, on top of what you burn just by being alive and breathing. So, um, it's hard to stay on top of that. Um, so yeah, it's, it's definitely scientific, the approach to it and also knowing your body and what you need to perform at that level. And uh, obviously you've been passionate for a long time about cycling, but what keeps you climbing back on the bike every day? Um, honestly, sometimes it's just because it's my job and I know it's what I have to do. Um, but I also love it. I know how fortunate I am, how blessed I am with both the, the health and the physical ability, the talent that I've been given. Um, to be able to do this. Um, if I wasn't a professional, I'd still be riding my bike. Um, because you just gain so much from it. Um, you learn, you know, you learn yourself better, you learn your environment. Um, you're just constantly exploring and there's just so much freedom involved. Um, and I still have those days, um, which is why I feel so blessed, uh, to be able to do it for my career, you know, days when the sun is shining and the birds are chirping and everything smells good. And you're just, you know, you feel strong and you feel powerful and you're just stomping up these mountains and, and looking down from the top at kind of what you've accomplished. And, um, you just come, come home and it's just like all of that suffering and that effort. It's just, it feels very purifying, um, very cleansing. And, uh, but then on the flip side, there are other days when you wake up and it's raining and you've been training really hard, you're tired and you just literally just don't even want to get out of bed, let alone get on your bike and get out in the miserable conditions and put yourself through hell just because that's what's required of you. Um, but you have to do it, you know, you have to sometimes set your feelings to the side and, and do the work because that's what enables you to, um, get to enjoy those great days and it's all worth it. Um, you know, I've been doing this long enough that when I'm in a slump or, a you know, a week or two of just not feeling great and things aren't going well and I'm not enjoying my bike. Um, I have so many great moments to pull from and I know that if I just, trust in the process and keep doing the work, it always, always turns around. Um, and there's always a, a moment 
when I will look back and say that was all worth it. Yeah, absolutely, man. I mean, as you're saying that, I'm literally thinking about writing and like pulling myself out of bed going, there's nothing in my brain today, but it's a discipline to be able to sit down and write. And I think one of the greatest lies that we believe is that, well, people are just born with those superpowers. And I've known you enough to know that you've been taking this very seriously for a long time in, in every area of life. It's now affecting you. And of course, now your year, your marriage, you know, where you live out of a suitcase. And um, so it's so good leaders listening to hear that anyone doing anything great has dedicated the time, put the work in and doesn't just feel like jumping on the bike, like, like we might get to choose to jump on a bike or not. Um, but Ben saying, this is my life. This is my discipline. So I love that. That's so good. So rich for our listeners. What are the greatest distractions you have to staying focused on cycling? Ooh. I think the greatest distractions for me are, are all good things. Um, when I think about like one of the hardest things for me to do is to like when it's, when the roads are icy, for example, and I need to do my training indoors. Um, I have a, a stationary setup in here where I can set the bike up and start riding inside. But like once you start, you know, you're just going to be in a sweaty, uncomfortable mess for the longest time. And you're not worried about getting started before say this sunset, you know, if you have a four or five hour session on the road, you need to get started bef so that you can finish before it's dark. But if you're riding inside, you don't have that natural time constraint. So getting started is the hardest part. And I find myself procrastinating by if I, I feel like I can justify not getting started if I'm doing anything else productive. Like, you know, I'll clean the kitchen three times before I get on my bike or <laughs> You know, oh, I've got a bunch of emails I need to answer or um, I need to clean this or that or fix something. Um, so I end up accomplishing a lot of things besides what I need to be doing in that moment. Um, so I'd say those are the biggest distraction is are good things. You know, also, like, I would love to just have the energy and time availability to spend more time with my friends, um, do more fun things with my wife, go hiking. Um, I'm not very good at walking long distances during the season, um, but it's something I love to do. Um, <laughs> only on wheels, right? Less on your feet, more on wheels. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> so there, are, you know, there are a lot of things that I love to do and they're all good things. Um, but they could become distractions, but I'd say, um, in general, like I, I'm able to stay focused, um, stay committed to, you know, keeping the first things first and, um, doing my work. And then with what's left, I can enjoy the other good things. You're but also it's real. it's really important. Like is as important as all of that hard work is, the rest is equally important. And I think that's, um, you know, having quality time with my wife and my friends, um, those are really important things to me. And that's all, you know, part of rest. That's part of 
um, you know, taking those intentional breaks. And for me, Sunday is, is always a, well, when I'm not racing at this time of year, when I'm just training, um, Sunday is always a day completely off the bike. So it's a day that I can not think about or touch my bike, completely disconnect, um, spend that time with my wife or my friends, um, and do something else with my day. Yeah. So dig, dig a little bit deeper for us on, on rest. You have such a unique life and you talk about Sundays. Um, how much of your rest is you deciding to rest versus paying attention to your body and saying, my body needs a break. I physically am, am on this training cycle. How much do you think is a choice, Ben? And how much do you think is literally just listening to your body, maybe screaming at you and needing to rest? It's a little bit of both. And that's, you know, something that I've kind of learned the hard way um, because I, and my default is probably to overdo it rather than underdo it. Um, but something that's been reinforced over time is that it's it's better to be 10% undertrained than 5% overtrained. Wow, um, interesting. Absolutely. Um, if you're if you're overtrained, like you're not going to have the power or the drive that it, that's required for competitions. Um, there will definitely be something missing. And if you're 10% undertrained, you're still trained very well, but you, you're able to dig that extra bit deeper um, and perform at a high level. Um, obviously, ideal is being 100% trained and not you know, not under or over, but that's a very fine line to walk. And that takes being very aware and knowing when is a time to rest. Like it's very hard to overtrain. Like people don't realize how much your body can handle, how much stress you can actually put yourself through physical stress and continue to get stronger from that. Um, but it is possible. Um, and I've, I've been there and, you know, when I was a young cyclist, there were days when my dad used to literally take my cycling shoes from me and hide them so that I wouldn't be able to get on the bike and ride before school. Um, cause he saw me over training and he knew I was, um, so since then I've, I've learned the importance of taking these little micro breaks, um, building those into my schedule, um, having a day a week at least of just completely off the bike. Um, and there are other recovery days, active recovery days built in where I might do a shorter ride with less intensity. Um, and then zooming out over the course of like a month, say I'll take three or four days and have a very light training schedule over that period. Um, to, assimilate all of the work that I've done because um if you're not taking those breaks and recovering then you can't you can't build you don't have you're not giving your body that time uh to overcompensate from all of the overreaching that you've done in training that's good and um really really helpful I think for us because we all have that ability to to overtrain in anything um, that we're doing and, you know, beat our bodies too much even. And uh, interesting that you're talking about, you know, under training versus overtraining and 
um, better to be under trained. It's interesting with leaders, I think, especially entrepreneurial leaders, um, we don't want to be underwhelmed. We want to push hard. We know we have a calling on our lives. We have limited energy and time. We just want to go for it. Uh, and so that's, I think, when a lot of leaders end up in burnout. But none of us, you know, we don't want to be overwhelmed. We don't want to be underwhelmed. And, and really, I think the question a lot of times we're asking is, what does whelmed look like? How do I push myself, but also realize at the end of the day that we're only a steward of what God has given us? And I heard this, um, love this this quote that I heard again this week. So good. Sabbath is for rest. Retreats are for reflection. Vacations are for recreation. And sabbatical is for renewal. And just that that each time has a different purpose. And so you're talking about those different places and, and spaces in your life. Talk a little bit about the connections, Ben, that you've seen between all the different aspects of who we are. When we talk about holism, what are the connections that you see between body, mind, soul, heart, and how does that come out as a professional cyclist? Um, well, I mean, I think that one thing that pushing yourself very hard does is it lays you bare. You're able to, to look at yourself very objectively. Um, in a grand tour, like the tour de France, for example, it's three weeks of, of breaking yourself down. Um, what I've seen is like the, the levels of fatigue first, it first, it kind of breaks you physically, then it, it breaks you emotionally and mentally. And then last it, you know, if it can, it breaks you spiritually. Um, and that takes, it takes a lot of intentionality to, um, to stay focused, to stay upbeat, to keep the big picture in mind, um, to kind of zoom out and, um, not let those, those feelings, not let your physical condition, um, affect or influence, um, what the things that you know to be true. Um, it's really important for me to have a community, um, around me that's, uh, able to see that big picture and remind me of that big picture. Um, to just speak life and truth into my, um, circumstances. Um, I think, you know, obviously in cycling, in a training, like you're in touch with your body physically. Um, I think when I'm exerting myself, my mind is more clear, like not, at super high intensities, but when my heart rates, you know, above 110 below 180, like I find that I can think very clearly, um, and experience the things around me. Um, it's, uh, yeah, I don't know. I think that pushing yourself in anything reveals things about yourself. Um, then I find that to be the case for me in cycling. It's, it's great. And I love you putting that into context and just kind of skipping over the tour de France. Obviously, man, I, I got to ask, what are, what are a couple of moments in those three weeks around the tour that are just kind of frozen into your mind? 
for me, the Tour de France was my first three-week grand tour I ever did. Um, And you just come into it so excited and so nervous and having heard all of the stories and all of the hype around it. Um, And then it gets started and you know, it's, it's just a bike race that kind of calms your nerves a little bit doing what you're familiar with, what you've trained for. Um, it's a, it's a comfort zone, I guess, even though it's extremely dangerous and extremely stressful and hectic, like I'm used to it. Um, and then around, you know, in the second week or so, the physical, attrition starts to build and riders are beginning to abandon for fatigue and crashes are taking guys out. Um, and there are those days when you just don't know how you're going to get out of bed and, um, you know, let alone climb, you know, three Alps and over 130 miles. Um, it's just a lot in front of you and you just, you know, you just do it. (laughs) <laughs> and uh i i saw five of my nine teammates and these are the these are some of the toughest human beings on the planet and i saw five grown men grown tough men in tears crying <laughs> during my first tour de france yep. um that's how hard it is breaking you down <laughs> it breaks you yeah Um, but it can also make you, and like I said, it, you know, just, it lays you bare. Um, and then the feeling of, of finishing on the Champs-Élysées after, um, what felt like a lifetime, um, all of the ups and downs over the course of a month, um, then you come onto the Champs-Élysées and, uh, you know, hundreds of thousands of people on the course and screaming, and it's just, there's so much energy and, such a, an amazing feeling of accomplishment for everything that you've overcome. Mm, That's incredible, man. And, um, obviously we could explore that for, for hours. Um, it's so fun to watch God use you in some, some cool ways. And one of the really cool moments, um, Ben, that, that I've had is the opportunity to just watch at a distance, God using your impact over time and, uh, and you releasing an I am second video that I know, We've talked about it's had a big impact. You're talking about some things that, that nobody else is talking about. Share about that I Am Second video and the risk that it was for you to release that. Yeah, so um, last early last season, I um, the video was released. I had a chance to tell a story from earlier in my career when I was a junior um, and struggled with some some eating disorders, um, basically bulimia. Um, how what how cycling um, was something that I fell in love with, but eventually uh, developed a, a very unhealthy relationship with um, through overtraining. Um, I was involved in the cross country team, indoor track team, and a swim team. So in the winter, I was doing uh, indoor track and swim team. Had a weightlifting independent study, and then was waking up at six in the morning to ride my bike uh, before school started. So I was exercising three to four times a day um, and really just drove my body to, to a breaking point. And um, there came a, a point where I, I knew I couldn't train any harder 
Um, I was exhausted. I was miserable. I wasn't nice to be around. Um, I became more temper temperamental. Um, and I, I wanted to work harder. That was my default, but I couldn't push my body any harder. And I figured I believed this, this half truth, um, that if I got, if I couldn't train harder, I could get lighter because cycling is all about power to weight ratio in the mountains. Um, the less weight you have to carry uphill, the less power you have to do. So I figured if I couldn't train harder, I could get lighter. Um, and I just developed on hab- unhealthy habit of um, making myself throw up every time I felt like I'd overeaten um, in, a, in an attempt to gain, to get control over my body. What I didn't realize was happening is what I was trying to control ended up controlling me. Um, and it all came to a head, um, when I, I lost my temper with my mom one night and realized that what I was doing to myself was not only unhealthy and hurting me, but it was also hurting the people around me. Um, and I, I hadn't, I didn't talk to anyone about it. I kept it private because I was, you know, I was ashamed of it. It was a women's disease from every thing from, you know, from every, any exposure that I've had with eating disorders was not something that like dudes with kind of a meathead mentality struggle with. Um, and so I, I kept it quiet. I really turned to my faith, um, to overcome that. Um, and I did, and I, you know, I learned about nutrition. I learned the science behind it. Really what it took was, uh, you know, talking to my dad who encouraged me to just take a step away and take a a week off. Um, and that's, you know, the first lesson about recovery. Um, when I took a week of no physical activity, I, I was able to step back and, you know, reflect, as you said, and kind of see the big picture and, begin to recover physically as well. Um, and that was definitely a turning point for me. Um, your story has been a gift. You've shared that with other people and you kind of, you kind of cracked that open share, you know, part two, I'm sure that has resonated with people. Uh, how did you sharing your story impact other people? Yeah. So I, I mean, I had spoken with just, a handful of people about it, um, since then, since, uh, since getting over that. And that was, you know, in what, 2006. So it's been a long time. Um, but I talked to a few people about it and just from what I was hearing and conversations that I was having, I started to realize like, I wasn't actually alone in that. Like I thought it was only me. Um, what I started to realize is that this is something that athletes male and female um especially in in endurance sports and in cycling um were having similar issues and similar struggles so i just felt i felt called or led to to talk about that um to share my experience um to be a resource to start that conversation for people um and it wasn't easy. I was worried about how it would be received. Uh, you know, one of the reasons I'd never talked about it is because I wanted to be 
I wanted to set a good example. I wanted to be somebody that young riders could look up to. Um, and, uh, you know, as somebody who did things right, who, um, who values his relationships, who loves the Lord, who, you know, is ethical in sports and works really hard. And, you know, I wanted to demonstrate all of those aspect character aspects and characteristics, um, in a way that would inspire young riders. Um, even my bro- little brother who was, uh, you know, on track and eventually did race professionally. Um, so that was, you know, that was a hardest thing about it. Um, because I didn't want it to, to stain my reputation, um, and to, to kind of, I don't know what's the right word, but to just affect the, the example that I was setting the way I was living. Um, it turned out to be quite the opposite, um, effect where I think people really admired one, just the, the vulnerability. Um, and also nobody's perfect. Um, and obviously I learned important lessons from that and was, and am able to share those, uh, those lessons with other people. Um, and the response was just overwhelming. Um, really, you know, aspiring professionals, current professionals, former professionals, and just amateurs, hobbyists, um, reaching out via social media, um, and other, other ways to say that they could relate. They shared a similar experience and were really encouraged, um, by my story, by what I had to share. I think it's so interesting, Ben, that so many times we think what we don't want people to see or what would mar our reputation actually brings so much more respect than we could imagine that, we think the way, or we think the path to respect is by doing it right and by not having uh, anything there. And it turns out that in that moment when you share, here is a deep struggle, um, quite the opposite. And I'm sure um, that's got to be incredible to be able to share something that I'm sure was terrifying to share, maybe excited to get it out there, um, but mostly terrifying to be able to share that. Incredible to see God using you. And what's cool is that that moment's completely off the bike. That moment is not crossing a finish line. That's a moment of you just uniquely being you. Uh, it's so fun to watch, you know, at a, again, at a distance, um, God using you to get a, just a better picture of what that looks like day in, day out, setting the example that you are. Um, just a last question is very, very simple. How does your faith impact your cycling? Boom. Simple, but big. (laughs) Um, That's something that I've really wrestled with um, over time is like, how do, how does cycling and my faith um, interact? And I've thought about it a lot. I've written a lot about it. Um, And I think there, there are a few things, there are a few ways to answer that question. One is that cycling is a beautiful sport, um, and it's a 
it's a gift that I've been given. And like, like musicians make beautiful music to worship God and cycling is a beautiful sport. I think that I can do that with a, with a, a right heart and a right um, perspective and attitude in a way that's pleasing to God. And that's kind of on a personal level. I think something you said earlier about, um, you know, being put in a place um, and being equipped in a way to to reach individuals that um, may not be reachable by anyone else. Um, like I said, cycling lays you bare, and in cycling at these races we're in a room with one other guy for the, over the course of a week or three weeks or however long the race is. Um, and so you're able to have very open, vulnerable conversations with each other. Um, which has been great. Um, also in a, you know, it's given me a, a platform, I guess, to talk about my beliefs in a, in a public space. But I think the main thing in terms of my own personal walk with God um, and the way that it interacts is my identity. Um, I think a trap that athletes and high performers at anything fall into is living this performance-based identity uh, where they find their value in their success and their results. Um, and for athletes, that's that's reinforced by um, the praise that they receive um, after uh, you know winning a race or, or a good a great performance um, on social media, even in interactions with people who just treat them differently because all of a sudden they've done something, as though that increased their their worth as a human being. Um, you know, signing a big contract, the dollar signs. That's you know, it's literally putting a value on you based on your performance. Um, and then when you have a bad performance, all of that crumbles and the reverse is just as true where all of a sudden people are coming down hard on you on social media. Um, you're not getting the attention that you're used to. Um, your salary is less. Um, you're, and then you can start to believe that your, your value is less, your worth as a human being is less. Um, and that's just really unhealthy. So I think as a, as a Christian, I find my value, my worth as a human being in being loved by my creator, um, in being a, a child of God and being called his own. Um, and that just gives up so much freedom to pursue excellence in cycling, um, to take big risks, to live hard and well, um, because I, because I'm already loved and valued not to earn value or love or admiration from anyone else, but I already am. So I can, you know, I can attack what I'm doing with, with passion and freedom. Um, and not, not in a, not in a space of fear, um, 
fear of failure, um, fear of not living up to someone else's expectations. So good, Ben. It's so rich. It's a perfect place for us to end as spiritual leaders and kingdom leaders. Some pastors listening, guys, we need to preach the gospel to ourselves. And that's just a beautiful reminder that on our best days and we're worst in our worst days, we are still loved by our creator. We are not human doings. We are human beings. We are loved deeply and dearly by God. So, so good for us to to hear to end. Didn't didn't even plan on ending that on that note, Ben, but it's it's perfect. Uh, God's using you in some incredible ways. Um, keep living out exactly what you are uniquely designed to do and to live. And again, we'll continue to track along at a distance. How can our listeners uh, track along with you, your journey through cycling in your life? Um, well, I published my race reports on benkingusa.com. Um, I'm also on Instagram, bking137. On Twitter, benking89. Um, Strava, I post all my training rides. They go up on Strava so people can see what, um, you know, what kind of training and racing I'm doing, miles that I'm putting in. By the way, if you guys are going to follow Ben on Instagram, an incredible feed. Ben, I love how you share some of the high points and moments, some of the low points, you know, icy handlebars I saw a couple days ago, just kind of telling the real story behind it all. Maybe a wreck, maybe you're hitting the pavement. So I just really appreciate getting that look. Ben, it is so fun to watch what God is doing in your life. Thanks for giving us some time. Yeah, I post that stuff. People people like the crash photos nearly as much as they like the wind photos. So I don't that something's wrong with about oh, that. Jacked but. up humanity. <laughs> so whether you like crash photos or not, follow along with Ben. Uh Ben, so fun to be with you, man. Uh keep it going. It is obvious that so much of your platform happens to be a bike saddle and you continue to live that out in so many different ways. We're proud of you. We want to track along with you. Ben, thanks for sharing some candid thoughts today. Guys, thanks for listening in on this conversation with Ben King. So many takeaways from that conversation with Ben, but I want to focus on just a few. Ben talked about the fact that it's better to be undertrained 10% than overtrained 5%. And how many times that's true of our leadership, where we're pushing ourselves beyond the max and realizing we've actually lost our passion. We've actually lost our why or the reason that we've been pushing so hard in the first place. So think about how that applies to your leadership. And he talked about his default setting to overexertion. Is your default setting to overexertion or to underexertion, to not stewarding the gifts that God has given you and working hard enough, or to overworking and trying to earn that on your own. I loved Ben's vulnerability around that topic. And what I loved about Ben sharing his story on I Am Second, the thousands and thousands of people that heard that, and many that reacted to that and have reached out, Ben was thinking he was the only one. And what I love about the interview with Ben is seeing that most of the gifts that we have to give come through our own vulnerability. Ben took a risk. He shared his own story in something that he thought was just uh, a women's issue and realizing there were so many more people just waiting for him to take that first step. 
how many times our vulnerability is actually the pathway for people to trust us, to be able to follow us, and actually to realize that we are the wounded healers in that. And the last piece is this for you to think about what is your next step based on what you heard today? Maybe it was something from Ben talking about stewardship uh, of his body, how our hearts, souls, minds, and strengths are connected. But what is your next step from today's podcast? And we want to give you the courage to take that next step. Share this episode, listen to this episode with your team, take a screenshot and share it. Reviews really help us get this out to more people. But especially if you know a friend who's a cyclist, they're going to be geeked out on this episode, getting behind the life and heart and mind of a professional athlete, but specifically a professional cyclist. We hope that you enjoyed spending time with us on another episode of the Right Side Up Leadership Podcast, and we will see you next time.